Happy December! This is The Bittersweet Life. If you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. I'm Katie Sewell. I've been in the radio business for nearly 20 years, mostly working for public radio in the United States. In 2013, I quit my stable job and I moved to Rome for just a year. That's where this podcast begins. And if you're new, don't be afraid to start at the beginning. I'd hate for you to miss out on the adventure. That adventure might inspire you to do something crazy, like quit your stable job and move to Rome for just one year. And my co-host is Tiffany Parks. She's a writer and author of Midnight in the Piazza. And she's also an expat who moved to Rome over a decade ago with the determination to stay whatever it took. She's also my childhood friend. I met her on the school bus in the sixth grade. I hope you like the show, and if you do, tell a friend and take the time to write us a review. And if you've listened to the show for years, consider a donation. Your financial support is huge to us. In fact, I can't think of a donation to anywhere that would be more appreciated than what it will be to us. We'll send you a handwritten thank you note. And in addition to helping us pay hosting fees and other bills, your support will help us grow the show, which is absolutely the key to this program continuing in the years to come. So if you love it, if we make your life a little better, please pay whatever you can to support the art that you enjoy. Visit thebittersweetlife.net on your desktop and click the donate button. Or tweet us at bittersweetpod and we'll send you a link. Thank you so much. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, but I am with a guest that, I don't know, uh, how many years we've been planning to do something together. <laughs> Maybe since the beginning of this show. Donna Newman is an American living in Germany. She moved to Europe back in 2008, first to Prague in the Czech Republic, and then later on to Munich, Germany, where she's still living today. I discovered her because of her YouTube channel, Wanted Adventure. She talks about her experiences living abroad in general and living in Germany in particular including but not limited to the culture, the foods, the holidays, and the German language, which is what we're going to focus on today. German language is the subject of her new book, in fact. Now, it's pretty notorious on this show, Donna, as you know, that I don't speak foreign languages very well, so I'm going to let you give <laughs> the entire title of this book. But the part that I can read is called You Go Me on the Cookie, which she tells me is a literal translation of a German saying. So we're going to find out about that. And the book is coming out a week from today. So we're getting a preview. Thank you so much for coming on, first of all. I can't wait to talk to you about this stuff. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that it has finally worked out. Yes. Yeah, I'm really excited to be talking to you. For a long time, we were holding out to actually do it in person. Yeah. I think that was part of our problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's hard to make that work. Yes, with you in Germany and me in Rome and then all over the United States, it's really hard to sort of line up in the same time zone, let alone in the same space. Yes, definitely. So what is the full title of your book? Okay, the book is You Go Me on the Cookie, Learning Deutsch, Mein Abenteuerlicher Weg. Okay. And yeah, exactly like you said, the first part, You Go Me on the Cookie, is a word-for-word -word translation of a German saying. It 
basically, so the idiom in German basically means something like, you're annoying me, but <laughs> it sounds better in German because, you know, I mean, cookies are involved. So yeah, yeah. And then the other part, learning Deutsch, learning German, mein abenteuerlicher Weg, my adventurous way. But again, I think that also sounds better in German too. So how does it, how does it mean don't annoy me or stop annoying me? So in German, it's you go me on the cookie. I, I, I'm not really sure like how that exactly means it. That's a good question. Maybe just like how you say it in English, you're driving me up the wall, you know? Yeah, that's so interesting. So that, that would be an example of something that while you're learning German, you just have to know. You just have to learn it somehow. Exactly. It's not something that you're going to just discover in a book. Yeah. And in German with you are annoying me, there's actually a, a few different ways to say this in the same sort of style. Like this is you go me on the cookie. But there's also, you go me on the alarm clock, <laughs> basically. So there are different things in German that you can say, you go me on. <laughs> and then that thing, which means like, you're annoying me. Huh. Is it different levels of annoyance? No. no it's just like something that's annoying. Yeah. But, but cookies are not annoying. Right. So, yeah. That's fascinating. That reminds me when Tiffany was learning Italian or even after she did learn Italian and she was trying to communicate with her Italian husband, Claudio, she found that oftentimes they would run into phrases that didn't make sense to him because it didn't exist in Italian. And yeah. one of the examples I remember her giving was, you hurt my feelings. Oh. Which is not a concept, apparently, that he understands. What does that mean to hurt your feelings? Is there anything like that? I know you're married to a German, too, so. I definitely, I know for me that idioms, I think they're so much fun. I have a lot of fun with that. But yeah, it can definitely cause confusion. So especially, yeah, when you try to directly translate something that is an idiom into the other language. And sometimes, yeah, like maybe with feelings getting hurt, you don't notice that that is an idiom. Like with something that's like, you go me on the cookie. I mean, that's quite obvious, I think, that that's an idiom. Mm -hmm. Although in everyday speech, you might forget with getting your feelings hurt. I wouldn't think that that's an idiom, but yeah, it is. Of course, your feelings are not literally hurt. Yeah, yeah. One time with Stefan, we were driving somewhere and it was basically in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And then just out of nowhere in English, he said to me, oh, the dog is buried here. And I was like, excuse me, where? Like, what dog? Whose dog? Right, whose dog? Do I have to know this dog? Is this an important dog in Germany? I don't know what this is supposed to tell me. And it didn't even cross his mind that we didn't have that saying in English. What he meant with it is that basically there's nothing going on here. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and then with that one, I actually mentioned that in a video. And it's really interesting that there were people in the comments saying, oh, but actually from the region that I'm from, that saying means something different. So yeah, even within the same language, sometimes a saying could be slightly different. I don't have an example off the top of my head, but I wonder if in the US, versus say the UK, if there are maybe some idioms that have slightly different meanings. I don't know. Hmm. So I want to go back to how you begin 
speaking German, but first I want to ask you, you wrote this book in German. I wrote this book in English. You did? And, okay. Yes. And it was translated by a wonderful translator into German. Does that mean that you're going to put it out in English as well? Are you planning to? I don't know. At this point, there aren't any concrete plans for that. I would like to, maybe in the future. But right now, the plan is the book in German. And we'll just have to see what the future brings. And who do you imagine reading it? Do you see it as a book that people who are currently studying German will be able to understand? Or is it kind of more people who are native German speakers get your interesting take on what it's like to learn their language? Yeah, I would say it's targeted mostly towards native German speakers. But I could also imagine that maybe people who are studying German might read it and kind of be like, ah, okay, kind of commiserate together about some of the parts of the language that are beautiful. So having that shared experience of exploring a new language that can be beautiful, but also frustrating. But yeah, it's first and foremost focused towards native German speakers. So you moved to Germany not knowing German, is that right? Yeah, basically. I mean, I opened a textbook and tried to learn a little bit before I moved. But yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah dot, so, dot, dot. <laughs> so where did you even begin? And can I also ask you, how old were you when you started this? Yeah. Learning it? I was 22. Okay. Yes. Yes. I was 22. Yeah, I went to the bookstore and I got a German book with CD. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna learn German. <laughs> and I opened it up. And uh, yeah, so that's basically how I, I started was on my own. And then when I moved to Germany, the first thing that I did was I signed up for an intensive month of German classes. And I did that for two months in a row. And are you naturally good with languages, would you say? <sighs> Um, I really like languages, so I am very interested in languages. I think that helps that I am not bored learning it. I'm very fascinated. I definitely feel like I struggle accent. I struggle with getting the accent right and definitely the grammar. I definitely struggle with that, but I find it very fascinating. Right. So would you consider yourself relatively fluent at this point. Yes. When you're first learning it, I mean, it was a while back now, but do you remember where you were having breakthroughs, where you're starting to have understanding first? Ooh, oh, that's a good question. Do you mean grammar wise? Or do you mean like when I was out and about and I could actually understand something? <laughs> well, either one, really, like whatever you would have found to be a sign that you were on the right path, at least, that it was working. Yeah, I guess I guess for me, that would be when I started to be able to actually read signs. So speaking of signs, going around town, there are signs and sometimes they say things. And when I first moved to Germany, I couldn't understand them. I couldn't read them. That made me feel alone, I guess, like a foreigner because I couldn't read the signs. And then once I started to be able to understand the signs, that made me feel more at home. In English, you know, we have words like rainbow, yeah? And it's a rainbow, and you put that together and you get rainbow. 
these compound words. Mm -hmm. In English, we have some of those. German has a lot. German loves compound words, and German will form these really long compound words. And the words can look really daunting at first because it's very easy in German to get like a 16-letter word or more. It's very easy. <laughs> and so sometimes on the sign, the word just looks so long <laughs> and it just looks so daunting. And so when I first moved to Germany, I would look at those signs and be like, how am I ever going to figure out what this is saying? <laughs> and then slowly but surely, I realized that I could break the long words up into their pieces and figure out what the sign meant. And as I was slowly able to do that, that's when I think I kind of felt like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm getting the hang of this. Can you give us an example of one of those long compound words? Well, this isn't that long, but for example, there's a Christmas drink in Germany called Feuerzangenbole, and that's 16 letters. And when you break it down into English, that's three words. The drink is called fire tongs punch. Tongs like, um, you know, the cooking utensil. Uh-huh. Yeah, fire tongs punch. But in German, it, they just put it all together. Feuerzangenbole. It's one long word. Hmm. And it's called like that, by the way, because they have a sugar, a rum-soaked sugar cube on top, you know, set on fire. And traditionally they put it on a pair of tongs on top of the drink. <laughs> wow. So in putting that together, it probably would help to see the drink probably too, right? Yeah. And I think, I think nowadays I don't recall it actually having tongs on top of there, but I, I can't remember. <laughs> and is there kind of a rhythm to knowing which syllable in German is emphasized, you know, what the rhythm of the word is? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think like with the compound words, you can really feel each part when you say it. But when I was first learning it, I didn't know, like if I saw a long word, I didn't always know where to break it up. Mm -hmm. So I might run the word together in the wrong way. With Feuerzangenbole, if I didn't know that Feuer was one part, fire, Zangen was the other and Bole was the third, then maybe I would say like Bole. Does that make sense? Like if mm -hmm. you, for the word, the English word rainbow, if you accidentally say rainbow, yeah. then that doesn't work. Right. But you only know that it's rainbow because we know that the first word is rain and the second is bow. But if you're learning the language, you might say rainbow. Ow. Right. <laughs> or something like that. Uh, is there something about learning German that seems particularly illogical? I mean, I always think of English as having so many tricky things in it that sometimes I would wonder, how do people even learn this language if it's not something you speak from a native standpoint? But German have any of those really tricky hazards? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so in German, the nouns have genders. And there's three genders masculine, feminine, and neutral. And I studied Spanish in school, and in Spanish you also have genders, but it's two genders. And with Spanish, it was pretty easy to figure out, generally speaking, which gender a word was. There was an easy rule. Of course, with some exceptions, but with German, <laughs> there are so many rules 
that they almost become unhelpful. <laughs> My teacher gave us the rules and it's several pieces of paper. I mean, <laughs> there's so many rules about if it if the word ends in and then there's like 20 or 30 different options of how you would have to memorize what the word ends in. And then it's like seasons are usually this and rivers in Germany are usually that and months are this. And <laughs> there's so many rules that at the end of the day, I feel like you basically just have to know it. So when you're starting out, how do you I mean, that must have been extremely frustrating. <laughs> I can only imagine. It is still extremely frustrating. That is something for me that I still often struggle with is remembering whether a word is dare. This is for the. So is it dare is the or d is the or das is the, depending on whether it's a masculine noun, a feminine noun, or a neutral noun. And then to compound all that, Depending on what you're trying to say, you might have to change the, depending on where it is in the sentence. So there's basically like this whole huge chart of like, if it's a feminine noun and it's going to be the object of the sentence, then it needs to be this. And if it's a masculine noun and it's the object, then it needs to be this. And so I'm keeping in my head this whole chart of like trying to figure out if it's if the word the is going to be dare, d, das, dame, dane, des. And if you don't know from the beginning if the noun is masculine, feminine, or neutral, then you really can't work out that chart. Right, exactly. When it comes to trying to determine as you're learning whether something would be masculine or feminine, was there any sort of rhyme or reason to it? Generally with people, like if you're talking about a woman, then it's die Frau, feminine the woman. Right. But with objects, that's something that I kind of touch on a little bit in the book, asking if that plays a role. Because what I think is interesting is that sometimes with Spanish, the nouns might have the same gender for something as in German, but sometimes a noun has a different gender. And so, yeah, I've thought about that since the beginning, kind of like, what does that mean? Does it mean anything or does it mean nothing? <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, you have the added neutral. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is everything in English. Everything is neutral in English. It's just the, right. you know. It makes you imagine, like, yeah. was there some great German council back in the day that was looking at an object and was like, I don't know. Yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. We'll call that neutral. So when you're were figuring out what to write about when you were writing about this book, which chapter would you say was the hardest one for you to write? Ooh, the hardest chapter. I think it was hard when I wrote about grammar because I didn't, I really didn't want to make it boring, you know? Yeah. And I hope I didn't. <laughs> I hope I succeeded in making it interesting. But, you know, like when I'm writing about dare, d and das and trying to explain my frustration with it, I want to try to keep it fun and light and not getting too bogged down in the details of the actual grammar. Yeah, that would be tricky, for sure. Yeah. So what was the most fun to write? 
It was super fun to write about some of the slang and the idioms. For the slang, I talk about slang and idioms in many different ways in the book, but I had my mother-in-law and my husband, Stefan, picked out some slang that they didn't think that I would know. Mm -hmm. And then I had to try to guess what it could mean, figure out slang in German. So do you have an example? Okay, so one that I did get, that I did get correct. Wait, did I get it correct? <laughs> Hold on. Oh, no, I got it wrong. So how about Balconian? Okay. All right, so Balconian. In German, some countries end in I-E-N. Like Italy is Italian. Mm-hmm. Australia is Australian. Mm-hmm. And so Balconian... Yeah, I did not get Balconian right. But what it is, is when you have your vacation on your own balcony (laughs) is Balconian. Like we should have our vacation in Balconian. (laughs) (laughs) So I like that one a lot. That makes sense, you know? That's like a staycation in English. Yeah, it's funny. It's almost, it's more clever than a staycation, really. Yeah, like... I don't know what that would be in English, though, how you could take balcony. Mm-hmm. I can't even come up with something. Yeah, yeah. Give me another one, though. Those are fun. Okay, so how about the slang word Katzenjammer? So I'll tell you that Katzen is cats, and Yammer is like whaling. Mm-hmm. So it's literally cat whaling basically. Okay. So you want to give a guess of what this could be? <laughs> so they propose this to you, cats wailing. Yeah, um, cats and yammer. And it's, it would just be a normal slang term that people would just use day to day. Yep. So think about it, maybe. Cats wailing. I mean, it sounds more like that annoys me than you go me on the cookie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> cats wailing. That is annoying. Okay. Um, let's see. Like cats wailing. Now, here, can you give us a hint? Like a, an avenue where it might um, be. If it's not just like a screeching sound of some kind. Okay. Um, let's say... Hmm. I don't want to give it away. All right, this, this will probably give it away. <laughs> okay. You might have this after New Year's Eve. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a hangover. Yeah, it's a hangover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that. That's really good. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. What was it? Katzenjammer? We'll have to get... Is that right? We'll have to prepare ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Katzenjammer. Good job. Yes, I know one word of German now besides hello. Good job. <laughs> you can come to Germany and you can talk about having a hangover or you can just go around saying hangover. Yeah, hangover. hangover. And like, what? <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I got. Oh, that's really great. We did a show once about comedy and the difference between what Italians find funny and what Americans find funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. And also mm-hmm. how long it takes to develop a sense of humor in another language. What would you say about your sense of humor in German? Do you know it well enough to be funny? Oh, can I be funny in German? Yes. Oh, that's a good question. I think I'm funny in German. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I am. And... My friends laugh at my jokes, (laughs) so I would like to think it comes across. Yeah. Well, and would you say that Germans have a different sense of humor than, say, Americans? 
I think so, but it's very hard for me to put my finger on exactly what that is. Sometimes I watch stand-up comedy in Germany, or more like late-night shows, I guess, and I do think they're funny, but I don't know if I think they're funny for the same reason that Germans think they're funny. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like... If you and I both see the color blue, I don't know if your blue looks the same as my blue. Right. But we both say we see blue. So I'm laughing and my German husband is laughing, but I don't know if we're laughing for the exact same reason. Right. right. <laughs> so does that make sense? Does, yeah, like, that does make sense. It, for some reason that reminded me too. Do you find Tiffany has complained in the past about the fact that she and Claudio have trouble watching some things together because if he's watching a movie, he doesn't want to watch it in English. He wants to watch it in the overdubbed Italian, okay. which, of course, Tiffany, as an English speaker, doesn't want to hear Robert De Niro overdubbed. <laughs> you know, she wants to hear <laughs> yeah. Robert De Niro's voice. Yeah. What do you two do? Do you have the similar things? Or? Um, we really don't have that. We watch pretty much everything in English, the English shows in English and the German shows in German, except, okay, actually I will say that sometimes I convince Stefan to watch an English show in German so that I can work on my German. Oh, <laughs> so, but, but if we're just watching a show to just chill and like watch a movie or something like that, and it's a, an English movie, then no, we'll watch it in English. When we first met, Stefan basically only had school English. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. he had learned English in school, but our relationship began in English. I lived in Prague and I didn't speak German. I wasn't learning German when I met him. So our relationship began in English and he kind of got a lot better at speaking English very quickly. So we stayed with our relationship in English for a long time. Like we would try to speak German, but it was really hard for us to speak German together. We started watching English movies and I can remember at the beginning I showed him Office Space. Mm -hmm. Do you know Office Space? Yeah, the movie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I showed him that and that was like right at the beginning. And I remember looking over a few times and being like, why isn't he laughing? <laughs> Does he not think it's funny? And then later I found out, you know, he didn't get it. He didn't understand. Not that he didn't get the jokes, but he was probably not 100% understanding the English. Right. But within... I don't know. I would say not that much time. His English just really got a lot better. And then now he really surprises me sometimes. We'll be watching a movie and they'll talk about something in an idiomatic way or they'll use really complicated words and I'll just check with him. Do you know what that means? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I got it. And I'm like, wow, I am super impressed. What do you do then? Do you guys mostly speak in English with each other or are you flipping back and forth now? We mostly speak in English except for the last month and a half or I don't know. Yeah, maybe five weeks ever since we got back from the U.S. So I guess November uh -huh. <laughs> for November. We've been speaking German, huh? almost exclusively German. And why is that? 
Yeah, because I want to make sure that I can talk about my book in German. <laughs> <laughs> right, you have a big... <laughs> the book is in German, so I want to make sure I can speak German, but when I need to speak German, sometimes if I'm nervous, you know, it's like it kind of gets stuck. Mm -hmm. When I'm thinking German in my head, sometimes I'm like, wow, I've got this. The sentences <laughs> are so wonderful. And then somebody calls... And I need to speak in German. And it's like I open up my mouth and I'm like, oh. <laughs> and it's just, it just gets stuck. So, so you told me that your, your husband read the book that you wrote. Yeah. What was it like for him to read you as an English speaker writing about his language? Yeah. So, well, first of all, not only me as an English speaker about his language, but in his language. Right. Yeah. So he said when he read the book in German, and this I was so excited about, he said that it really sounded like if it was me able to speak totally fluent, fluent, fluent German, that's how I would have written it. Does that make sense? Mm, like, yeah, yeah, that the that they really did such a good job translating the English. He said my personality really came through. And so I was thrilled to hear that. I thought so too when I read it, but it was really great to hear it from not only someone else, but from my husband saying, I really hear you in this German here. Yeah. And then reading about his native language from my point of view, he said it was really interesting. I would write some things that he had never thought about before, that for him, it's just his it's just his native language, you know, that's just how it is. And then he was like, oh, yeah, I, I had not thought about that. I would say for me, learning German, sometimes I have started to see English differently as well. It's really interesting to look at a different language from a different point of view. Yeah. Do you have an example of what it changed about your view of English? Um, I would say that I notice idioms more often. Whereas before, I would just talk in idioms, not always really think about what the idiom is literally sounding like. I still use them in an idiomatic way, but I sometimes step back and think about them. I notice these idioms and I think about what they're actually literally saying. Did you have to change how you spoke English at all because you're sharing your life with a person who's learning English as you're learning German? Yeah, I think that I started to use less slang and maybe speak a little bit more clearly. I can remember at the beginning, Stefan said that sometimes I would go back to the U.S. for a bit of a longer period of time. And then when I would come back, he said that for like the first two weeks, I was using more slang and speaking faster because I had been around all my family and my friends and in the U.S. And then after like two weeks, I don't know, I kind of went back to the way he was used to. Before we end, I just want, because I know a lot of people who listen are trying to think about how to actually move abroad. So when you decided to move, what made you decide to go? That's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. were living in Florida. Yeah. I know that from your video series. So my heritage on my mom's side is Czech. And growing up, I had learned a lot about my heritage. And I had always been really interested in it. And then when I graduated college, I just felt this 
pull. Like I really wanted to move abroad and especially I really wanted to move to Europe and even more particularly I wanted to move to Prague. So I just decided that I was going to move there. So I, I sold my stuff and I bought a one-way plane ticket to Prague and I moved there and I was like, okay, now I need to get a job and figure stuff out in Prague. And while I was living in Prague, I ended up going to Munich for a week. And while I was in Munich, I met Stefan, who is now my husband. So, so I lived in Prague for about a year and we dated long distance. And then I decided to move to Munich. Wow. And any plans for you to drag him over to Prague? (laughs) Or is that dream dead now? Is life in Munich? I would say at this point, I feel so at home here in Munich. I still love going back to Prague. We've gone back a few times. When we go on vacation, we don't usually go back to the same place. Actually, Rome is another place that we would really like to go back to again. We haven't yet. But Prague is a place that we have gone back to many times and that I would like to go back to many, many more times. Like I would always like to keep going back to Prague. I love Prague. It's my favorite city so far in the whole world. It's (laughs) my favorite one. So I love going there for vacation, but I really feel very much at home here in Munich now. And how did you decide to start your YouTube channel, Wanted Adventure? I have always liked presenting and doing that sort of thing. I've always really enjoyed that. And I just, I kept experiencing things and I wanted to share them. I wanted to share my experiences. And I also found some of the cultural differences so interesting, little things, big things, but also little differences. And I just really wanted to share that. And I thought also, like you said, maybe for other people who might want to move abroad, that that might be interesting as well to see some of the good experiences. But also I have talked about some of the challenges, some of the things that have been hard, missing family, and I've shared experiences, I think, that have run the gamut. You're really not camera shy, which is an amazing talent. Oh, thank you. Know, you. I'm on radio for a reason. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I do like, I really, I really like that. I really like doing it. And when I first started, I did not know anything about doing anything with that. Like as far as editing goes, filming, lights, nothing like that. And that's something that I have really appreciated getting to know. And with YouTube, I've really appreciated that, that I could learn as I was going. Well, you know, everyone listening is going to want to know because everybody dreams about moving abroad and, and making a living doing something like you're doing. Are you able to make a living making videos? So I do many different things. I work (laughs) as a freelancer and I make videos on YouTube. I have this book that's coming out and I also work with the local public broadcaster here. So I make videos for them. And so I would say I've got lots of different things going on 
Yeah, it's something that you have to build. Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <So> familiar. <laughs> yeah, many different pots on the stove, you know? Yes, like... <laughs> exactly. And slowly adding up to something yeah. that hopefully amounts to a living at some point. Exactly, Well, at least you're yes. still able to live overseas, which yeah. is an accomplishment in itself. Yeah, I really, really like living here. And like I said, I feel really at home at this point in Munich. It feels familiar, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, since Christmas is coming up, just as a final ending point, what do you think is the most interesting Christmas tradition that you would encounter in Munich that you would not find in your native Florida? Oh, that's a good question. Interesting Christmas tradition. Um, great, you've stumped me right at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, or just different. No, just it's, different. it's not even that. It's that at this point, I've gotten so used to them. You know what I mean? Oh, I've got one. I've got one. Okay. It's called Schrottung, mm -hmm. which Schrottung and Schrott is basically scrap or junk. So it's like junking kind of. And what it is, is you get together with your friends and you just pick some piece of junk that you have at home like okay it doesn't have to be junk but just some random item and you wrap it up all nice like a nice little gift and you get together with your friends and you don't just exchange them there's this whole ritual you roll the die and then you pass it around that many times and then you roll the die again and then maybe you have to exchange it with the person sitting across from you and anyway you do all of these different little exchanging things basically just to take up time you know <laughs> you're doing this to spend time with your friends you're just having a nice time so you just you pass the gifts around for a while and eventually everyone has one hopefully that isn't their own and then you open them and you're like oh thanks so much for this uh piece of crap <laughs> basically <laughs> like you know you didn't give anything really that good I think one time we gave our friends we had a bunch of lanyards mm -hmm. yeah like a bunch of them like I don't know maybe 30 <laughs> and we gave out that <laughs> and of course of course we gave that and then the next week I was like Stefan, I need something to put my key on. <laughs> Can we ask them for one of those back? Like, I, I needed one suddenly. So yeah, that's, there you go. There's one. That's a great one. I don't think you would see that in Florida or in the U.S. I love it. Maybe we'll play that this year. Yeah, it's nice because it's just a nice way to spend time with your friends, you know? Yeah, we'll look up the rules. Yeah, exactly. Well, okay, so since you speak German and I do not, why don't you give us the full title of your book? Okay. Which is coming up next Monday. It is. Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> okay. It is You Go Me on the Cookie, Learning Deutsch, Mein Abenteuerlicher Weg. All right, and it's coming out December 17th. How can people get it? On Amazon. I mean, you can also get it in other places, but on Amazon.com, it's available as an ebook. And on Amazon.de, it's available as an ebook and the paperback. All right, that's great. So that is next Monday, the 17th, if you want to get a copy of that. Thanks for coming on the show in advance of the big release. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, imagine that we're the first interviewers. We're taking the first crack at your 
creative project. <laughs> you are. You're you are. You're the first one and I'm very I was happy to do this not only because I've been wanting to talk to you for yes. it feels like forever, but also this is the first interview and it was in English. So it was a nice <laughs> I guess way to break the ice for me because I think I think after this my interviews are going to be in German and I'm excited, but I'm nervous. <laughs> yes, I totally understand that. I cannot even imagine doing an interview in Italian. Yeah. <laughs> Donna Newman's YouTube channel is called Wanted Adventure if you want to hear about her adventures in Germany and abroad in general. Thanks so much for coming on. I'm so glad you did. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was really lovely and hopefully one day we will be in the same city at the same time. Yes, I think we'll make that a goal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> This is the Bitter Sweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Thanks for listening and for telling a friend about the show. And thank you for your support financially. We can't wait to write you a handwritten thank you note to show you how much it means to us. You are spreading the word and supporting the show financially directly affects whether or not this program continues. So if you love it, support it. Find a donate link at thebittersweetlife.net or in our show notes. Thank you so much for taking the time. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.